sign of spring is when uh, our uh, friends who head south start returning. So welcome back. Uh, again, we're believing that uh, spring is coming. Uh, we'll keep on believing that. Uh, I don't think Pastor Bob shared, but next Sunday uh, at 12.15 following uh, the second service, we're going to have an informational meeting. We're going to, uh, as a church, send another team off to our sister church in Derry. How am I supposed to say it, John? Derry Vu? Vo. Derry Vo. I was corrected. Uh, Haiti. And if you're interested and you'd like to maybe go, I think it's October 30th to November 8th is the exact days, flying out of Traverse City. If you're interested and want to know more, next Sunday is your time. We'll have a packet. We'll give you uh, as much information as we have, and uh, that way you can pray about it and be informed. And uh, that's happening again next Sunday following the second service. Interesting uh, uh, incident this past week for me. I uh, went to the county jail to visit someone, and... Uh, I don't know if you know this, but if you go regularly, if you want to get on the list, you got to get fingerprinted and you got to do background checks and everything. So anyway, uh, deputies uh, taking my prints and uh, he's then asking me questions. He's got his back to me. He's typing in on the computer, height 511, uh, weight, I didn't lie too much, uh, hair color, I said dark brown, and, and I swear. He's typing. <laughs> he says, really? <laughs> okay, you could put gray down. Uh, so anyway, it was just a reminder. Uh, uh, life keeps marching on, doesn't it? Yeah. My head is still dark brown, but I guess uh, that's not the case. Anyway, we're in Acts chapter 19 today. Uh, Paul makes his way to the city of Ephesus. Uh, what's interesting is I studied. He'd been there about a year earlier. If you've got your Bible, go back to 1821, Acts 1821, and he said, hey, I'm just here a short time. They wanted him to stay. He says, I can, I got to go, but I'll return if it's God's will. And now Paul, the promise keeper, returns to Ephesus. Uh, this was uh, a very large commercial city. In a lot of ways, a lot like Corinth that we talked about last week. Uh, they uh, had one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, the Temple of Diana or the Temple of Artemis. Uh, but anyway, it's same, same temple. Uh, but uh, Ephesus was a very sinful, decadent city. Okay? I said last week that uh, Corinth would be Las Vegas for us. Uh, perhaps uh, Ephesus would be San Francisco, New York City, uh, just a very large commercial city, lots of uh, sexual sin in the name of religion going on here, uh, lots of demonic activity. Paul's going to spend over two years in this city, so we're going to cover it in one week, but he was there for over two years, and today... I want to look with you at three specific incidents that are recorded uh, as Paul is in the city of Ephesus. And uh, 
you uh, pay attention and we'll hopefully as we look at there's more but we're going to cover three today three specific events that dr luke highlights for us and the the very first incident is recorded right when paul walks into town so uh, we'll start with verse one we'll read on down through verse seven let's stand together ruth will put it up here on the wall for us it's on the back of your bulletin and uh, obviously for most of you you have it in the very best place you can have it which is what Got, got it right in your hands. So that's good stuff. And if you don't have a Bible, Pastor Bob and I will take care of that problem for you today, okay? So I don't have one. Okay, we'll, we'll get you one right after this service. You ready? Verse 1, let's read. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No. We've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we can be here together today in your church. And uh, I just want you to know, Lord, it's a blessing to be here with my friends, with my church family. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that you might just rain down good stuff from your grace and your mercy upon each and every one of them here today. Lord, may, may they know down to the core of their being how much they're loved. Most of all, may they know that they're loved by your son Jesus. And, and Lord, if some of them are doubting that even today, I pray that even today they'll have that assurance that your love is strong. It's true. It, it's unconditional. It's sacrificial and it's eternal. Lord, help us to know that as a fact. And, and Lord, may they sense that they're loved by their family, their church family, their brothers and their sisters in Christ. May, may they sense, Lord, that this is a community that cares. Lord, help us to open our eyes. And Lord, if there's people around us who are hurting, who are overwhelmed, who are stressed, who are... Uh, Lord, just struggling today, Lord, help us to have your eyes and help us to see them and reach out and show that we care and love on them and, and do our part. So, Lord, I pray that that might happen even today in your church. And now, Lord, as we talk about uh, the stuff you had Dr. Luke write down and record and was inspired by you, Lord, would you please uh, guide us as, as we work through uh, Paul's adventure in Ephesus? Lord, help us to learn good stuff. Help us, Lord, to uh, understand what's going on. But most important, Lord, I pray that we might have an encounter with you, the living creator of the universe. Lord, we need an encounter with you. So help us, Lord, to meet you, to experience you, to hear clearly from you. And, Lord, for that to happen, your spirit needs to have freedom to work. So we, we want to invite you to have the freedom you need to do your stuff in our lives right now. 
So we invite uh, your spirit to come and, and be welcomed right now in your church today in this room. Uh, more specifically and more importantly, Lord, right now we invite you to come and fill us. And may streams of living water flow within each of us individually as we invite you to do uh, your work. Lord, we're grateful, again, that we can talk to you, can worship you in song. Lord, help us to worship you well as we study your word together. And all the church gathered at Walloon Lake said with joy in their hearts. You may be seated. This group of 12 men that we just read about, uh, verse 7 tells us, there's 12 of them. Um, they meet Paul as he arrives in Ephesus. So he walks in the city gates, it, it seems as though, and as he enters in, he meets people that appear to be followers of Jesus, but it's as though Paul could tell something's missing. So, verse 2, he senses something's up, something's not clicking here. Verse 2, um, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Uh, and all 12 of the men, the men verse 2, answer, uh, what Holy Spirit? What are you, what are you talking about? We don't, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. So Paul asks a second question. Look at verse 3. Um, well, then what baptism did you receive? And their answer is John's baptism. Uh, you know, John the Baptist, his baptism. And if you want to look and see what that's all about, Matthew 3 verse 2, verse 6, verse 8, and verse 11 of Matthew 3, they all explain that John was out there baptizing people in preparation for the Messiah to come. The Messiah, the one the Old Testament talked about, he's, he's about to come on the scene, and you need to be baptized. You need to repent of your sin and be ready to receive the Messiah. You understand? They were saying, I'm a sinner, and I need this Messiah, this Savior, and accept the Messiah when he appears. Um, problem is, give me your eyes, they didn't get the rest of the story, right, Paul Harvey? Uh, they, didn't, they didn't get the rest of the details. Uh, they got the news about Messiah's coming. They were ready to respond, but they were ignorant of the cross. They were ignorant of the empty tomb. They were ignorant of Pentecost. They didn't get that news yet. So basically, they're still living in the Old Testament. Does that make sense? They're still kind of Old Testament saints, but they haven't yet been given the facts. And now they repent and they accept the Messiah that's to come, okay? So they didn't know the details, and now they get the details, and sure enough, the missing pieces are put together in the puzzle of their lives. Paul then explains to them about Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb. Make sense? Gives them the word of the Lord. And verse 6, when they receive the facts, the rest of the pieces are given to them. They then become followers of Jesus. How do you know that? Uh, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Um, they get baptized. And now there's a little mini Pentecost, like there was in Acts chapter 2 going on. Uh, some of the very same things we saw in Acts 2 when the church began in the upper room, now we see going on here 
with Paul and these 12 men. Side note. You ready? Can you handle it, Larry? Okay, here we go. A little side note. Some denominations, some denominations use these verses to prove that you get the Holy Spirit in two stages. Track with me just a minute. Some denominations say, see, the, the, it shows, and it happens here, that they first got the Holy Spirit when they believed, and they accepted the facts, and they got their fire insurance. And then later on, when Paul came, then they got the second stage of the Holy Spirit. As they grew and they matured and they could get more, they got a bigger Holy Spirit, a more powerful Holy Spirit. And I suspect that some of you have heard that sort of thinking. Okay? These are the two main verses, verses 1 to 7, excuse me. Those are the main verses they're using to justify that thinking. Here's the problem with that thinking. You ready? These 12 men were not yet Christians, clearly. Uh, they, they were ready to respond, but they hadn't yet heard of the cross, and Jesus shed blood, and Jesus taking their place in the tomb and arising from the dead. That's the problem with that thinking. They weren't Christians yet. And when they believed, as they got the facts from Paul, they received the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they became followers of Jesus. Make sense? What's the difference between someone who knows Jesus and saved? What's the main difference between those of us, I'm a follower of Jesus, and those people who are still living in darkness? You ready? What's the answer? It's the Holy Spirit. The, the, the third person of the Trinity. Jesus in spirit form is what makes all the difference. And they don't get the Holy Spirit until they get the facts and believe and receive and become Christ followers. Make sense? Okay. Second event that we're going to look on this morning, Dr. Luke records for us, this is kind of an ongoing event. Um, and actually, this is an ongoing event that goes on for over two years. So he's there in the city of Ephesus, and now he ongoingly, every day, preaches and teaches and shares with the city of Ephesus about Jesus Christ. His way of assaulting the city, Paul's way of going in and going to war in the city of Ephesus, he's going to share about Christ every day, every day, everywhere he goes. But specifically, we're going to see he goes to two specific places. Look at verse 8. Here we go. Paul entered the synagogue. That's the Jewish assembly place and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Verse 9. But some of them became obstinate. The Jews, they refused to believe, and they publicly maligned the way, the way to Christ. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Pretty cool, huh? Paul goes on the march, verse 8. Boldly, he's proclaiming to Jews for three months. Okay? And he's, he's in the Old Testament, and he's pointing out from Isaiah 53. He's pointing out from the Psalms. He's there all over the 
the Old Testament saying, uh, this Jesus fits all of the qualifications of the Messiah. His fingerprints match perfectly everything the Old Testament required. And he's letting them have it again and again and again. But verse 9, some of the Jews don't like the message. They get stubborn, they get mouthy, so if you can't refute the message, what do you do? <laughs> Let's attack the messenger. We don't, we don't like your message, so they get mouthy, and they're maligning what Paul is talking about. Um, here, here's what's pretty cool. It seems that what Paul was doing here was every day he was going to a lecture hall that was owned by a local philosopher, and his name was Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um, he's a great guy. Uh, but it seems that daily he didn't use his lecture hall in the heat of the day. Some manuscripts say that Paul met from 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. So why was the hall available from 11 to 4? Because no one else wanted to be there. Uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, he's going to go and get away, take a siesta, that's the hot part of the day. But Paul, he's there from 11 to 4, and he's preaching and he's teaching daily. For how long did I say? For over two years. Pretty cool. Now, here's, here's the points you need to understand. If you go to Acts 20 and thir verse 34, go there for just a minute. 20:34. here's what Paul says. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. So, so what's Paul saying? Uh, from early morning till 11, I was working. Probably he was fashioning and creating tents. And, and he was there and he was working hard till 11, or maybe till a quarter till, uh, runs into Tyrannus's hall, and now he's preaching and he's teaching for five hours. He's, he's persuading them about Jesus and the gospel till four. And then typically, that, that culture, then you'd go back to work and work, maybe eat dinner and then go and work till dark. And that was Paul's pattern for over two years. I mean, this guy was a bulldog. He was in there and he was working hard and he was going to say, I'm not even going to take your money because this is a city full of charlatans. This is a city full of religious frauds, and I don't want anybody to think that I'm one of them. So he wouldn't, when he was in Ephesus, there were other places, he would accept gifts. He would accept people supporting him. Here he said, you know what? This city has so much in the religious fraud business, I'm not even taking a penny. I don't want any of you thinking that I'm in this for the money. And so for two plus years, every day, five hours a day, Paul's in there talking about Jesus and the cross, and the empty tomb, and you need to believe, and you need to receive him as Savior and Lord. And it says, and for over two years, everybody who needed to know about Christ was given the opportunity to know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, the third event, this is where it gets interesting. Uh, we're going to look at some real deal miracles followed up by some frauds, and some fakes, okay? So now we're going to move into the third incident that Dr. Luke records, and I'm telling you, powerful, miraculous stuff. Verse 11, 
God did extraordinary miracles through Paul. Uh, God said, I, I'm going to let my guy there in Ephesus, I'm going to authenticate and validate his message, and here's how he did it. So that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched Paul were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Let me pause for a minute. Only three people in Scripture did these sort of miracles. Jesus Christ, the God-man, the, third, the second person of the Trinity. You see some of this kind of miraculous stuff in Peter early in the book of Acts, and then you see it some in the Apostle Paul. Nobody else other than those three men does God use to do these extraordinary, remarkable things uh, to authenticate and validate their ministry. Um, I believe, here's, here's what was going on. Give me your eyes. The Lord was using Paul to trumpet that Jesus is the real deal. You guys are worshiping these fakes and frauds, and, and you got all this weird stuff going on. I just want you to know, this is my man, and he is the one serving the true and the living God in a very sinful, demonic, occultic stronghold. This was an outward sign to everybody. This should be believed. Okay? And just like today, as soon as you come out and there's real power going on, there's some who want to make a buck on it. Have you noticed that? If somebody comes up with something and it looks pretty good, there's going to be some wannabes, some imitators, and they're going to step up. Uh... I think I want to make a buck too. And I got to be honest with you, these next verses all week long, they make me smile. At first, I was laughing hard, but now I'm just smiling. But you'll see what I mean. Uh, here, here's what happens verse 13 the fakes and the wannabes. Uh, some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon possessed. They would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Verse 14, seven sons of Sceva, that's a great name, isn't it? Uh, a Jewish chief priest were doing this. You got it? Demonic stronghold, clearly lots of evil demonic spirits going on, lots of occult, and lots of people were crying, hey, we need help. And these guys were... We're heading in there, and, and they're going to do it for a buck, okay? Verse 15, here's where it gets fun. One day, the evil spirit answered them, uh, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I know about, but who are you? <laughs> Verse 16, then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating, they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. Very first streakers in the Bible, right here. Uh, the, these men were active trying to do Jesus stuff and mimic the power of Jesus in a demonic, occultic place. Um, if you remember, later Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, we call that book of the Bible what? Anybody? Ephesians, right. And he writes in Ephesians chapter 6, um, our real struggle in life is not against people, it's against demons. And 
and Satan and his army, and they've got it all aligned, and they're organized, and they are after us. Our ultimate struggle in the church is against against Satan and his demonic army. Um, And here, you see a little bit of the power going on. One man with an evil spirit beats the snot out of seven men who are using the name of Jesus. Did you catch that? One man literally beats the snot out of them. They go running out of the, out of the building or the house, and they're crying and they're screaming, and uh, everybody notices. Okay, Here, Here's what we need to learn from that. Please know there is real power in Satan and his demonic army. Um, hold your spot. I want you to go to 2 Thessalonians 2 real fast. Uh, that's in the T's, just before Timothy. H comes before I, if you need a little help there. Um, and first comes before second. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, find verse 9. Did I say first? I really meant second. Sorry about that. I was just testing to see if you were listening. Uh, the coming of the lawless one, verse 9, 2 Thessalonians 2, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. And then it tells you a little bit about Satan. He uses all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. And then you'll see wickedness and deception and, and, and all that goes on. Here, here's my point. Just because you see something that clearly is powerful and extraordinary doesn't mean it's of Jesus or Scripture. You know that, right? Lots of Christ followers get tripped up and deceived. Well, I, there's, there's real power there, yeah, but there's two power sources in the world today, right? There, there's Satan and his demonic army, and, and there's Jesus and his spirit alive and working in his word today. So two sources of power... And unfortunately, if we see power, lots of times we say, well, it must be God. You've got to test the spirits. How do you test the spirits, Myron? Where, where, do they, where do they line up on Jesus and God's word? Are they confessing that Jesus is Lord? Do they believe that Jesus is the king? And, and are they lining their, their thinking and their teaching up with God's words? If they're not, you see displays of signs and wonders and there's no Jesus and it doesn't line up with the word, where sh- what should we do? Anybody? Any guesses? Run. <laughs> Run. You got, I want nothing to do with you. I want nothing to do with that. Okay, back to Acts chapter 19. Uh, the result of this incident is interesting. These well-known uh, ghostbuster wannabes run down the street, bleeding and screaming and causing a scene. Look at verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with what? few of you got it. It's in verse 17. Uh, they were all seized with what were they seized with? And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. That's a good result. No more playing around with Jesus. Th- this Jesus stuff is real. They were seized with fear. This spiritual stuff that we've been messing around with for years, no more messing around with it. And the name of the Lord Jesus was lifted high. And amongst the Christians, the Christ followers in Ephesus, how did they respond to this power 
encounter. How did the followers of Jesus, those that made up the church, early church in Ephesus, how did they react to this Jesus is for real stuff? Um, look at verse 18. Here's how they reacted. Many of those who believed, they've already believed in Jesus, now came and openly confessed what they had done. Okay, so, so they said, I'm not hiding this anymore. Uh, I'm not pretending anymore. I'm coming clean with this. Verse 19, and a number who had practiced sorcery, Christians, yep, followers of Christ, yep, but they were still practicing sorcery, brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's millions. Five, six million dollars worth of magic stuff they burned. When the church recognized what was going on, there's Satan and his demonic power, and there's Jesus and his Holy Spirit and God's word power. They got serious, and here's what they did. Are you ready? They made Jesus Christ their Lord, their King, and their Master. We're not messing around anymore. We've been kind of, we kind of like Jesus, but we sort of like that other stuff that we grew up with. Seems that many of the Christians had yet to abandon fully their old ties to their old way of thinking in their old life, which involved you know, just dabbling and messing around a little bit with, with the satanic and some of the incantations and the spells and the potions. Please understand, Ephesus was a stronghold of demonic, black magic, all of that garbage that goes along with it, okay? People would create potions. Uh, well, if you, if, you, if you get together this right incantation, you'll have good health. And if you're sick, it'll help you here. And it would do all, they would do all sorts of things in this black magic occultic scheme, and they'd hope, oh, hopefully I'm going to get some success, and I'll get blessed because I'm doing it that way. Make sense? If you grew up in this culture, that was a big part of your life. This was huge. And clearly, a lot of them really had bought into it, and they were still playing footsies with it occasionally. They were still involved with it from time to time. And they still kept it locked away in their closet. Because, you know, you never know. You might need to get it if you ever have a problem. When we were in Haiti... Last uh, November, every once in a while, there'd be this guy with a white beard come walking through town, Jason. And more than once, I said, who is that? And they said, that's the witch doctor. I said, oh, okay. Um, and, and he looked mad, and he was on the other side of the street as he walked by the church. And, and I said, um, what's that all about? Um, well, he's not happy we're here now. He, he's not happy that the church in Derivaux is getting strong and it's making a dent in his village, and he's not a happy man. So he doesn't come to town much anymore. And when he comes, he mostly just marches through, might grab a few groceries, and heads back out. 
I said, well, what about towns where there is no strong church? He lives right in the middle of the town. Then the witch doctor sets up camp, and, and he's the man. And there was a time here in Derryville, he was the man, but he's not the man anymore. Again, just need to know that today there's still lots of places where witchcraft and the demonic and witch doctors are involved. And here's what they would say. Lots of people today in Haiti, even today, they, they have their spells and their potions, and they've got altars to dead relatives, and, and they'll sacrifice animals, and they'll have that kind of an altar in their house, and right next to it they'll put Jesus on the cross. And, and I, what's, what's up with that? What's up with that? Well, they want to cover all their bases. Okay, so, you know, I'll take all the power Jesus can give me, but I also, in case I don't have enough there, I want the power of, of this other side. So they're trying to play both sides at the same time. Um, that's what was happening back here at this time. Uh, they're trying to have it both ways. Going to take the black side of things, going to take Satan is demonic. I like that power, but I also like the Jesus power stuff too. And, and I'll, I'll accept both. I like how Larry Osborne, he's a pastor in Costa Mesa, California, explains this. Um, he said that I've discovered there are three stages of Christianity. You might want to write these down because I, I think he's right. I look back at my own life, and most of you probably will recognize the three stages. Now, some of us work through them really quickly. You go from stage one to stage two to stage three. Some... Man, it happens like that. Some people take years. Um, I see some people who take decades, an entire life, and, and they never fully get through the stages. Here's the first stage. Um, uh, it's seeing Jesus as your magic genie. Uh, Jesus, um, I'm in trouble right now. Help. Haven't prayed in months, but right now I got trouble. And I've got difficulty, and I've got this situation, and it's bigger than me, so I'm going to rub the Bible, and I'm going to say some magic words, Jesus, come through for me right now. I need your help. And then the crisis passes. Thank you, Lord. Appreciate it. Um, you can take a break now. Um, I'm going to move back with my life, and uh, if I need you again in a few months, I'll call for you. That's the uh, Jesus says, your magic genie stage. Uh, second stage is uh, Jesus as your consultant. Um, Lord, I, I really value what you have to say to me. I really want to know what your thoughts are regarding my life. So, Lord, please show me. Give me advice. Give me direction here. I'm going to listen to you, and I want to know your word, um, but I also want you to know that I hold veto power over whether I'm going to listen or not, okay? I, I, I want to hear from you. I really want to know, so show me what you think. Um, and, you know, most of the time, maybe seven, eight, nine times out of ten, I'm going to do what you show me. But, you know, once in a while, you're going to ask me to do something that I think is unreasonable. I don't think so, okay? So you're my consultant, and, and I'll listen to your advice, and I may or may not listen. Third stage. Jesus becomes your Lord and your master. He's your king. And, and frankly, this is the stage where Jesus wants all of us to be. 
The Lord's working in all of our lives to get us to the point where it's, Lord, whatever you want. Um, the answer is yes. I surrender all. And you know these little secret pockets of sin that I've been kind of ignoring and hiding away? I'm getting rid of those secret pockets of sin, and I don't want them in my life anymore. Jesus, you have my full attention. Verse 18, I just want to show you. that This is where these folks have gotten. Um, verse 18, they confess their sin. They come clean with what they've been hiding and ignoring and probably rationalizing. Well, it's really expensive. You know, and I could get a lot of money for these books, so if I ever get in trouble, then I've got this little pile of, of scrolls and witchcraft uh, stuff, and, and I can get some good money for it. In verse 19, look what they did. And they burn their magic sorcery scrolls in the fire. They have a big old bonfire, and now everybody who's been playing footsie over there says, you're right, this is real. Jesus, you're my Savior, my Lord, and I'm just going to burn it. I'm not going to sell it on eBay. I'm not going to give it away to someone else and mess them up. I'm going to do with it what it really should be done with it. I'm going to burn it. And it says, interestingly, um, the total value of all those scrolls, 50,000 drachmas, several million dollars, five, six, seven million dollars, depending on what you call an average day's wage. The church gets serious, the church gets clean, and they make Jesus Christ master, Lord, king of their lives, and now look what happens, verse 20. When that happens, in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Look again at verse 20. Just follow in. And, and when they got serious, the message of Jesus, the kingdom of the king, the church of Jesus started to grow. It spread widely, and there was power in that early church. What was it that they did that brought the power, that spread the message? They got rid of the garbage. They got serious about Jesus. They made him Savior and Lord and King. I have a couple self-examination questions to ask you, okay? I want to ask you a few questions, and I want you to note... Um, no one was asked to burn other people's magical scrolls. Nobody was charged with, you go and make sure that your neighbor, that your friend, that your cousin have burned all their scrolls. And if they haven't, go give them a good lecture and tell them they better do the same thing you did. You know what that's called? It's called legalism. It's when the Lord works in my life and now... Peter, and you better do the same thing, because he worked in my life, and he made things clear for me, and now you better do the same thing, or I will judge you. It was self-examination. So as I ask these questions, it's so easy. Well, you know, I, I wish this person were here listening to this. Uh, and, and, you know, they really need this bad. And, and right now, I just want to zero in on the person in the mirror. Me, 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 me. First question, what stage of Christianity are you in right now? 
What stage of Christianity are you in right now? Is it possible you're here and you're still treating Jesus like your uh, magic Santa Claus genie? And Lord, I want you to give me good stuff when I want good stuff. And if I get in the bind and if the bottom drops out, I'm going to cry out to you and you better come through. But then as soon as the crisis passes away, uh, thanks, appreciate it, and nothing changes. Do you view Jesus as your consultant? (laughs) Um, When the Lord shows you it's time for you to do something, um, how do you respond? When the Lord makes something clear to you, is it yes, Lord? The answer is yes. Before you even ask the question, the answer is yes. Or or if, if it's a check, I sign my name at the bottom before you even write in what you want. Or do you just like to know what God wants you to do and then you'll choose whether you're going to obey or not. That's Jesus as my consultant. I just want you to know the Lord is nudging and prompting and working and encouraging and at times kicking us all to get us to the point where Jesus is our king. You understand that, right? He wants all of us, Lord, whatever you want. I surrender all. It's yours. Second question, would you be willing to allow the Lord to take a little survey of your life even right now? Would you be willing to allow the Lord to point out any pockets or or any remnants of sin that that you've kind of kept around in your life and and they're not really hurting me too much and it's really not that big of a deal and, and I know they probably shouldn't be there but it's okay. Are there any pockets of your old life left that you haven't dealt with? Would you be willing to ask the Lord to show you? Final question. Verse 20, look at it. Do you want to see the word of the Lord spread widely here in northern Michigan? Do you want to see God's power come on you and come on the church of Jesus Christ here? If that's going to happen, it starts by looking in the mirror and inviting the Lord to do a little survey work on each of our hearts right now. So bow your heads, shut your eyes, and we just want to say, Lord, uh, you speak clearly now. You uh, worked there in the city of Ephesus, um, and now, Lord, I believe you want to work here in your church. So speak, Lord. Your children, your church, were listening. And would you take your word right now and through the ministry of your spirit apply the truth of your book to our lives as you see fit? We quiet our hearts. We choose right now to listen to your still small voice. So, Lord, uh, we say one more time, speak. We're listening.
Any of you say, Lord, you've spoken clearly right now. You've taken your word and you've applied it to my heart. I just want you to know I've heard from you. And I want to physically respond to the fact that you've spoken very clearly from your book to my life right now. And I've heard from you. Anybody lift up your hand and say, Lord, you've, you've spoken and I've heard from you. Yeah. Are there others? Yep. Anybody else? You've spoken. I've heard you. Yes. Passage is clear that the believers who Jesus was working on openly confessed and publicly made clear that stuff in their lives needed to change. And they did that in a very public way. We haven't done this in a while. And I just want you to know that uh, I've asked the Lord, are, are you sure? Uh, and the Lord is speaking clearly to me that uh, it very well may be that some of you need to openly and publicly take a stand. Lord, you've spoken, and it's clear. Maybe I need to move up a stage, enough of Jesus as my consultant. Maybe there's something you need to get rid of, something that doesn't line up with Jesus and God's word. Maybe something that needs to go in the garbage, it needs to be burned. Um, whatever it might be, I want to give you this opportunity to just as they did here in the city of Ephesus with Paul today in the church of Jesus Christ in Walloon. Lord, uh, it's time for me to openly confess and come clean and go public with the fact that I'm going to take a stand. Um, and if that's your heart today, if the Lord is knocking, I invite you to come on down front and I'll come and stand with you because, frankly, the Lord spoke to me this past week, so I'll be the first one standing down here. Um, and uh, if, if that's you, nobody's looking around right now. Does it really matter if, if I'm the only one here? Or if you're the only one still in your seat. But if the Lord's working and it's time for you to go public, come on down here to the front, to the altar, and take a stand.